Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Did you feel his presence in worship? Amen. It's always good to be in his presence. Amen. I have a story for you that I'd like to uh, share real quick if I can. It says this, one day a man goes into a pet shop to buy a parrot. The salesman takes him into the parrot section and asks the man to choose. The man says, how much is the yellow one? The assistant says, $2,000. The man was shocked, $2,000. Why is it so expensive? And the salesman said, this parrot is a very special parrot. He knows how to type, and he can type really fast. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. He goes, well, how much is that green one? And the man says, well, that one costs $5,000. It's $5,000. He says, "What, what, what what, what can this one do? He goes, well, this one can type, and he can answer the phone and take messages. And the guy's like, whoa, that's amazing. He goes, well, how much is the red one? And the assistant says, oh. He says, the red one's $10,000. $10,000? What possibly can this parrot do? He says, I don't know, but the other two call him boss. Now, that has nothing to do with my sermon, but... I thought I'd give you a little joke, get your motor started, and make you feel a little better. Uh, before we get into our message uh, this evening, or this morning, this evening, where did that come from? <laughs> I haven't preached in it. I've been preached at night in a long time. Um, if you would like to get baptized, if you would like to get baptized since you have uh, believed and, and turned your life over to Jesus, we are going to be having a, a baptismal uh, service. We haven't scheduled it yet, but we are taking names in the back. If you'd like to put that there, we'd be glad to baptize you. And we'll give you more information as we get a little bit closer. Also, how many, how many here would say, I'm believing God for a miracle? If you raise, raise your hand, if you believe, uh, then you should all be here tonight. Everyone that raised their hand. I mean, be here tonight. You say, why is that? Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Jesus put it this way. Jesus come walking on the water. How many know walking on the water is a miracle? I haven't walked on the water lately. Now, I've done belly smackers, and I've sunk to the bottom of the pool, but I have not walked on water. Amen. But walking on the water is a miracle, and Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the water, and they thought he was a ghost. Read it. You can read the story. And they were afraid, and the Bible says he would have passed them by, except that they cried out to him. Okay, so they cried out to Jesus. So everywhere in the Bible, how many know Moses? He, he, the burning bush, it says when he turned aside, there was a deliberateness in his turning. He turned aside to investigate what's going on. And that's when God spoke to him out of the burning bush. And it was when they finally cried out to Jesus that Peter stands up and says, if it's really you, bid me to come to you. And he says, come on. So this morning, what I'm saying to you about tonight is come on. You say, well, what are you going to do tonight? Well, all we're going to do is worship God. How many knows worshiping God's good? Amen. We're going to have a time of extended worship. Say, well, what do I, I got? You can just come, tap your foot, tap your hand, you, all the way up to you can run around the building if you want. But you do what you do. If you want to just sit there in a chair and listen to the worship, do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to believe God with you and have time for prayer. And we're just going to take God at his word and believe that he is going to fulfill it. And that you'll be healed, that you'll be provided for, that God will minister, deliver, set free, save, whatever is necessary. So make sure that you come on out tonight. That's at 6 o'clock tonight right here in the sanctuary. So we want you to be a part of that. Now this morning, I want to minister a message. Obviously, you could see the title page, Trusting Jesus, when it's really, really hard to do. How many know that trusting Jesus on the good days is pretty easy? 
Now, I don't know about you, but when there's plenty of money in the bank and when there is, you know, plenty of food in the refrigerator and when I don't feel bad and my body's working the way it's supposed to work and the kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing and everything's going well, trusting Jesus is easy. I love trusting Jesus in those moments. I love going, hey, man, it's great. But what happens when it becomes really, really hard to do? What happens when it's a bad day? Now listen, I, this is a really positive sermon because a lot of people say, well, why, why do you talk so negative? I'm not talking negative tonight right. or this morning. I'm talking positive, but I'm, I'm just being real. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have difficult days. Does anybody here have a difficult day? Has anybody ever had a moment? Has anybody ever got a bill that you didn't expect? Has anybody ever got sick when you didn't want to? Well, not that you want to. (laughs) Has anybody ever had problems come in? I mean, it seems like it comes out of nowhere. It seems like something just rises up and it's like, where did that come from? You've gone to work, you go to work and the boss says, hey, guess what? We're downsizing your department. And we're starting with you. (laughs) Or how about, have you ever been in a fight with your neighbor? Maybe your dog is barking and your neighbor don't like barking dogs. Amen, come on. Has anybody ever had a problem with a child? Never, no one's ever had a problem with a child here. (laughs) The reality is we have bad days and sometimes those days can climb on us and it's in those moments that trusting Jesus is absolutely paramount to our not only our survival but our victory but sometimes in those moments it can be really really hard to do can you say amen Amen. now I want to ask you a question this morning and I want you to think about this is one of those questions where it's it's a thinker I want you to think about it. So what does that mean? I don't want you to shout out an answer. Okay, there's some of you that are predisposed, it was built into you to shout out answers. I don't want you to do that. There's something about your DNA that when somebody asks a question, you've got to answer it. I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to think about this question. Okay, just think. <laughs> You know who you are. You're all on the front row. (laughs) I got to tease with them. I love them. So here's the question. Is God really God? Think about that for a moment. I know it may sound a little strange and it may even be a little bit silly, But I'm very serious when I ask this question because, listen, everything hinges on your answer. Is God really God? So is God a healer? Is God a deliverer? Is God really a savior? Is he a provider? Is he really there? Is God who he claims to be? Is he really God? That's the question, isn't it? See, because the problem with that question, once again, is that that question can be answered so easily when everything is going right. When everything's good. When I'm healthy, of course God is a healer. When I am flush with money, of course he is a provider. When I do not feel alone, he is absolutely there. When I don't need saving, he's a savior. Amen. Amen. So now I need you to think, because it's in the moment of crisis, it's when there isn't enough money, it's when the boss is being mean, it is when we are fighting in our marriage, or the children are being disobedient, or my health is going south, that I absolutely need to believe and know that God is God. And he is who he claims to be. Now listen to me, what I'm saying here this morning. The essence of everything we fear, the essence of everything we struggle with, comes from a lack of understanding of who God is. And the reciprocal is true. The power to stand in courage, our faith, our trust, 
comes from our understanding that God is in fact God. Now I know that's hard, that, that seemed, this might seem very basic to a group of Christians, but I've been a Christian for a very long time. And I can tell you that as a child of God and as a Christian, there are times in my life where I struggle with that question. Is God going to heal me? Is he going to provide for me? Is he going to do what he said he would do? Is God going to be God? A.W. Tozer said these words. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, when you think about him, is he all-powerful? Or is he limited? Is he a very present help or is he hard to find? Is he merciful, full of grace, or is he punitive, looking to level judgment and harsh? Is he loving and intimate, or is he distant and cold and disinterested? Is he faithful, or is he flaky? Is he willing, or is he unwilling? Is he filled with joy, or is he a killjoy? Come on. All of those are relevant questions to the modern day Christian. Because church, one of the things that the church has failed to do is to present God who he really is and then stand on it. Regardless of the circumstances. The problem is, is what we do, church, is we allow our circumstances to define our God rather than who he says he is. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> when presented with these questions, most, of, most all of us will answer these questions in the positive, in the affirmative. We would all say, of course he's faithful. Of course he's there. Of course he's merciful and full of grace. Of course he's a healer and all of those things because those are the right answers. But what we really need to get to in life, if we're going to really come to a place of success, is we got to start dealing with the real answer. There's a difference between the right answer and the real answer. See, the right answer is, of course, God is good. The real answer is, I'm not so sure because things aren't working out good for me. Are you hearing me? See, even, mo- even the strongest of Christians struggle with the answer to these questions because oftentimes we're just not sure. We wonder. We wonder about it. We wonder, well, have, have I been fooled here? Have I believed a lie? Have, what's going on? See, when our concept of him is diminished, so does our courage for him and with him and in him. Think about this for a moment. Just think about that statement. See, when your understanding of God is limited, and diminished, then your ability to stand in trouble becomes diminished. The reason, I'll say this, I'll go so far as to say today that the reason that we struggle, the reason that we get, that, that we waver, the reason that we have difficult times, the reason that things go haywire in us is often because of the fact that we do not understand who he is. And ultimately, when you do not understand who he is, you do not understand who you are. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. I'm going to get off my notes because I feel like God's speaking something here. I want you to think about this just for a moment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the premise of this verse. God loved me so much that while I was still out doing my thing, when I had no consideration of him, when I was not thinking of him at all, in fact, in every action and word that I did and said, I was rejecting him at every corner. God loved me enough, sent his son to pay a horrible price. He was crucified and died for me because he wanted to demonstrate to me how much he loved me. Are you catching that? But now somehow I get saved. I come into this wonderful place of salvation. The door of relationship is open to me. I can walk in that place of relationship. And now I'm beginning to wonder if he still cares. Yeah. 
How is that? How is it that the God who loved when I was a sinner, he wasn't mad, he was not leveling his wrath or his condemnation, but he was sending his love and his grace and his mercy when I'm a sinner, why is he so mad and wrathful and willing to withhold from me now that I'm his child and simply stumbling? How is that? That doesn't even fit good logic, does it? But somehow we get caught up in this thing called religion and we get caught up into this place where we begin to believe about God that's something that's not true. Now, are you saying, Pastor, that sin doesn't matter? No, heaven's sake, sin does matter. Are we saying that so grace should abound? Heaven's sakes, no. Don't sin. If you're sinning, stop it. But let me tell you something, just because you stumble, just because you're struggling, does not define who God is, nor does it define who you are. (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are a child of God. God is our Father. He is holy, high, and lifted up, and the train of His robe fills the temple. And let me tell you something, He is awesome in every way, and He is your Father, and He loves you, and you are His child. Now, you cannot let your circumstances define you beyond that. Are you hearing me? So when your concept of him diminishes, so does your ability to trust him. Are you hearing me? So how big is your God? How big is he? Amen. And the answer to that lies not in your words, but in the substance of your action. You say, what do you mean? What you say you believe is not what you believe. But what you believe is demonstrated by the actions of your life. See, anybody could say, I trust Jesus. (laughs) I trust him. Anybody could say, I believe him. But when the rubber meets the road, and we're at a point where all we've got left is to trust him, What do we do? Do we take matters into our own hands? Do we run from him? Do we give up on him? There's probably no more revealing truth about what we believe than how we trust what we believe. (laughs) Isn't this the great tragedy in Christianity? Claiming to believe or to have a belief system that we are just unwilling to trust. So much of the time, not only in the lives around me, but in my own life, I find that there's a real disconnect when it comes to trusting God. Amen. Yet this thing called trust is at the heart of our relationship with him. I want you to look at, these are our texts today, I want you to look at a few portions of scripture. Isaiah 26, three through five says these words, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He says it in the King James. He goes, you will keep him in perfect peace whose trust is stayed, whose mind is stayed on you. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? Somewhere we got to get our eyes off the dilemmas of our life and get them onto the solution of our life. We need to trust him. Pay attention to him. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. How many know that's the trap we fall in every time? We are constantly trying to figure it out. Okay, maybe not you. I am constantly trying to figure it out. Okay, when I run into a problem, I want a diagnosis. I want to, you know, I, hey, I got WebMD on my, you know, the other, I saw, I think it was uh, Kevin, or, or I don't know, maybe it was Dan, maybe Dan, I, I don't know who it was. Somebody I saw that I knew posted this. I just looked up hypochondriac in the WebMD, and I got it. I don't, maybe it wasn't Kai, I think it was actually Dan. Dan Wilson, Alex's son, he's funny, you ought to meet him. 
I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? We're always trying to figure it out. We're always leaning on our understanding. Oh, I know what's happening. No, you don't. You have no clue what's happening. (laughs) He says, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. He says, trust in the Lord. Trust him. Don't try to figure it out. John 14.1 says this, do not let your hearts become troubled or be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, I want to ask you another strange question. Once again, I want you to think about it. Don't answer. Can we trust God? Can we trust him? Well, I mean, somewhere along the line, that that really does, it's kind of a loaded question. Because it has two facets to it. Because on one side, it's can we, or in general, can God be trusted? Well, of course he can. Of course. You know, he even says so. I can be trusted. But there's another probably more personal way to ask this. Do you trust him? Do you trust God? Do you have such a relationship with God and such a confidence in him that you believe that he is with you in all of your adversity, no matter what it is, And that he will come through for you, even though there is no evidence to that at all. Do you trust him? And the answer to that question is enormously important. And it can change you significantly. It changes how you live your life. It changes the results of your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, the problem is with this thing called trust is our tendency tends to be, we, we tend to question God. We tend to put him on trial, if, it were, if I could say that. <clears throat> See, when we, get, <clears throat> when we get into trouble, at the first level, we tend to ask why. Why? Why is this happening? God, why? What are you doing? What are you doing to me, God? Why are you letting this happen? Why did God let this happen? Listen, God didn't let anything happen. You got to hear this. Because there's this idea that God's up in heaven, completely unmoved by your circumstances. That he's up in heaven, and he's just watching this thing unfold and going, sorry. Wouldn't want to be you right now. But the problem is, is God has given us everything. He's given it. He's already showed us. Let me, let me, let me see how, if I could bring this. See, on one level, we, we want to deny God's um, right and his authority and his sovereignty in our life in the sense that we don't want to obey him. He, he's... <clears throat> He says this in Galatians. He says, be not deceived. God's not mocked. What a man sows, so shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you will of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now, the problem is, is lots of preachers have taken that and they've turned that into a threat. And they've made that like God's up in heaven going, I'm going to get you if you do wrong. But that's not the picture of this. This is simply a warning of how life works. In that when you sow to the flesh, there is a specific result, and that is you get from the flesh only what is corrupt. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit get life everlasting. And so what happens is when bad things happen to our life, we have to examine, is this something that I've sown, or is this just something that's happening? Because sometimes in life, bad things happen. God is neither the author of it, he is neither the, he does not approve of it, and he is quite broken from it. Yes, amen. Amen. And sometimes we just walk right into it. And it's not God up in heaven going, I'm going to get you. God's like, stop. Bridge is out. Don't go any further. I know it. I can handle it. I don't know how you're going to handle the bridge being out, but it's out. Don't go any further. Stop. Danger. Danger. Don't go any further. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't know what you're doing. 
We know this. This is a truth that we understand in spades. If you've raised children to any length of time, (laughs) I can do it, Daddy. No, you can't. (laughs) See, a lot of times what happens is we think just because we have the ability to do something, we have the right to do something. <laughs> he said, what do you mean by that? I was praying about this a while back and, and I was thinking about, you know, God, how do you, how do you really demonstrate that? And it was really funny because I remember driving down, I was heading from Jacob's Ladder to home and I, I was on um, uh, Willow, on that road, Willow out there, and I'm driving down the road and, and I'm heading that way and, and I'm praying about this, just talking to God and God kind of quickened me with a thought. And here was the thought that he gave me. He showed me kind of this picture of Oliver. And what I, I actually was going to do this, but I, if I actually did this, it probably would be not good. But I, I, was, I, was, I thought what I would do is have Andy sit up in the front and Oliver right next to him. And I was going to have a bag right here. And in the bag, I was going to reach in and I was going to pull out a red squirt gun. And I was going to call Oliver up and I was going to hand it to him and have Oliver squirt the gun at Andy. And the people on the front row. And it was going to be really fun and everybody would laugh and all of that. And then what I was going to do, see, I have a 357 at home. And I was going to pull out my 357 and said, we know he can pull the trigger. Should we let him use this one? Just because we have the ability to do something doesn't mean we have the right to do something. See, Oliver can pull the trigger, but he does not have the depth of responsibility. He does not have the ballast in his life yet of experience to be able to handle a loaded weapon. And so the problem is, is we think that too. And so we wander into places thinking we can handle it. And God has said, wait a second, stop. It's not that God's denied us or that he's holding us back. He's protecting us. But when we get into that place, things begin to fall apart. And what we do is we want to look into heaven and say, how could you let this happen? And we put him on trial. (laughs) In Psalm 73, the psalmist I believe it's Asaph that's writing this psalm. He begins, he goes, my feet almost slipped. I almost lost it. He said, because I begin to look around the world and I begin to see all the wealthy and the strong and the proud and all of this, how they got better and more and they were more blessed. And he said, but I, he goes, I have washed my hands for nothing. I've done good for nothing. I did it right. And all it's got me in one version of the Bible says is a splitting headache. He says, until I went to the house of the Lord and I saw their end. See, you got to understand something, church. Yes, we may pay a little bit of a price up front. There may be a cost to you and I living righteously to live the identity that we are, to live as a child of God. There may be a price to that. But in it, we can trust him. And he is not letting go of the ball. Can you say amen? He is not letting go of our hand. He is right there. Can you say amen? See, all through the Bible, we find those who demonstrate a very real, lasting, uncompromising trust. And you know where they gained it? Through the fire of adversity. It was through going through that adversity and finding out that God, in fact, is in the fire. That he is in the lion's den. That he is in a little boy's sling and a few stones. That he is in the staff of a shepherd. And that he can make a way where there seems to be no way. He could cause rivers to flow in the desert. In fact, it actually says he'll make pools in the desert. I've always thought it was prophetic. (laughs) David was a man that was no stranger to fear and loneliness and failure and difficulty. Even, he was even subject to sinister plots to destroy him. Even there was those in his family that would destroy him. His son tried to take over, tried to oust him. But listen what David's conclusions were. In Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4, he says, I waited patiently. Those of you that are taking notes, write patiently in great big capital letters, underline it, draw a box around it, put two stars on either side, and then highlight it. 
I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Let me tell you something. Trusting God is contagious. Trusting God is contagious. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turns aside to lies. In other words, he says, I'm confident in the God I serve. And he says that when they see it, who's they? The watching world. If you don't believe it, believe it now. The world is watching. And when they see your trust in God, They'll go, I don't know how you're doing it. They'll look at your circumstances and go, I would have left a long time ago. I would have quit. I would have given up. I would have, I would have set it down. I wouldn't have done that. But you stayed. You stood patiently waiting on the Lord, knowing that he would incline his ear to you and that he would hear you and deliver you from your circumstance. In Psalm 56, 1 through 4, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust you. He's making a declaration. He goes, When fear rises, I'm going to cause trust to rise higher. I'm going to trust God. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can, what can flesh do to me. Psalm 71, 1 through 5, he says this, In you, Lord, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may continually resort. You have given commandment to save me. Think of the implication of that. I love the picture of heaven. Here I am struggling in my turmoil, whatever it may be. God looks down. My Father in heaven looks down and he gives commandment to his army, his host of angels. And he says, go save him. It's a commandment. It's my command. It is my promise. He says, you have given commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord. You are my trust from my youth. See, we've all come to that place in life where things stop making sense, haven't we? I don't know about you. I have. I've come to my wit's end. Have you ever come to your wit's end? You're overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. You're thinking in your mind, what is going to happen? It's the place, that's the place where the promises of God seem to be wishful thinking. It's like, oh, I know. You know, I had somebody the other day, I was having a particularly difficult day, and the person came up to me, and they said, you need to listen to this. And I went, this this was my response, I'm tired of words, man. I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of hearing the promise. I'm tired of hearing another preacher get up there and say, God's good, and he's good all the time. You know, how many of them I'm talking? I'm being real. I got tired of it. I need some action. I don't want to hear about his goodness. I want to feel and sense his goodness. And I was struggling. I was in that place where things weren't making sense. In Psalms 107, 25 through 29, it says, where he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and they're at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Here the the psalmist is talking about this place, the wit's end, that place where you're done listening. It's a place where the Bible says they're at their wit's end. It's literally where all their wisdom is swallowed up. It's the picture of a, a seasoned, experienced sailor who has exhausted all his skill to no avail. Now he's at the mercy of the sea. You ever been there? 
all your cleverness, all your schemes, all the things that you could do, they don't work. Every preconceived notion and image are gone. All the facades, all the fronts are tore down. And all you have left is to trust him. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, church. That's a good place to be. Amen. Because when you finally come to that place where you trust him, you will not be disappointed. One man put it this way. He says, it's at the end of ourselves that we find God. My father-in-law came up to me and told me of a preacher that said this. He goes, when you're working, God's resting. But when you're resting, God's working. Amen. Think about that for a moment. Yeah. See, you can toil and you can work and you can labor and God will let you. And you can sit down and you can work as hard as you can and it's going to be at best limited or you can rest in him and let him work for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, when we finally come to that place where we surrender and say, you know what, God, this ain't mine to do. This is yours and I trust you. These children that I've birthed, they're really yours. Because they sure ain't mine at the moment. This job, I don't, you know what? My provision doesn't come from my job. God just simply uses my job to provide. He is my source. Amen. Come on now. Now listen, I, I appreciate medical in intervention and I have a great doctor. But let me tell you something. My doctor is not the source of healing. God uses my doctor. Are you hearing me? God is the source of everything. On July 6th, 1415, John Huss was taken to the place where he would be martyred for the truth that he believed in. And as he went to the stake, he was heard quoting Psalm 31.1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. See, church, God wants us to trust him. And let me just, uh, just kind of wind this down here. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to get away from my notes for a little bit here. I was just reading Friday. Uh, uh, I've read the book before, and I highly recommend the book. It's the, it's the um, um, autobiography of Reinhard Bunke. And if you don't know who Reinhard Bunke is, Reinhard Bunke um, is an evangelist that was called to the continent of Africa. And that's where he had... Um, some of the most outrageous crowds ever known. Oh, yeah. The largest crowd ever known under one night, in one night. They had 2.5 million people yeah. in one crowd. And, and uh, I think it's, I, I forget now what, it's 80 million and counting, 80 million plus and counting of the actual convert cards they have from people who've gotten saved. And they work with churches all throughout the world and, and they've, they've got it down really good and and and. and it's just amazing what he's accomplished. Well, in his book, his autobiography entitled Living a Life of Fire, which I highly recommend. It's a long book. It's about 600, 700 pages, but it's well worth the read. He, there was some things in there that caught my attention. There was several things that really arrested my thinking. But there was one that stood out head and shoulders above the rest. Reinhard Bunke talks about the story of how he began to believe God for a tent that could seat 40,000 people. <clears throat> you know, I think of a pup tent that barely holds two. <laughs> Reinhardt, he's believing God for a 40,000 seat tent so he can preach. Now, if you don't understand what 40,000, just to give you perspective, Kingman, in the city limits, I believe is 39,850. Or maybe 29,000, I'm not sure. But it's, it's not even, 40,000 is more than Kingman. So it'd be every man, woman, and child of any age coming from Kingman and still having room. That we still have room, we still have extra chairs. A lot of extra chairs. He said the tent, the center mast, the center mast in the tent was 10 stories tall. It took four, four or five semis to haul all of the equipment and, and the tent itself. And it took a crew of 100 men to set it up. And so he's believing God for this tent. And lo and behold, God gave it to him. 
God caused people to give into his ministry and he never asked for a dime. He never put out the need. He just said, God, I trust you. In fact, at one time, the tent got damaged. They were in an area of Africa and it was very windy and the top of the tent blew off. And he needed $800,000 to fix it. 800000 to fix it. So he began to believe God and he came to the United States to preach. And as he came uh, and met with the man that he was preaching for, they went to dinner. And the man sat down and said, look, I, I don't understand all of this, but I know that God spoke to me last night to write this check to you out of our ministry. $800,000 check. You'd say, well, that's great. And it is great. It's wonderful. It's inspiring. But friends, I, I don't know if I could believe God right now for $800,000. I don't know. I, you know, I, you know, I, I want to believe God for a new car, but, but I think I might have to start with some new socks first. And so Reinhardt talks about how he came to this place of believing and trusting in God. He went to a Bible school in Wales, uh, in Britain, in, the, in Wales. And it was a Bible school that was started by a, na- a man named George Mueller. And if you don't know who George Mueller is, George Mueller was a man that had many, many, many different orphanages throughout his lifetime. Literally thousands and thousands of, of children were helped and their needs met and great work of God and he never asked never one time asked for a dime he always believed God sometimes they would sit down at dinner with their empty plates and forks and all that at their dinner place and they would pray and they would say grace believing God for food and by the time they got done with grace a knock would come on the door and there would be plenty of food over and over they believed God to meet the need And so when Reinhardt showed up at that school, the the policy of the school was to, when you paid your tuition, that paid for your your schooling and it paid for your uh, uh, room and board, but it didn't pay for any other expense. So anything that you had need of, including even bus fare, you couldn't go get a job and, and, and you had to believe God. You had to trust God for everything. And they taught them that. And he says, and he goes, I was so glad they taught me how to trust God. And he tells the story of one time him and a buddy had come into town and they were doing some missionary work in the city they were close to. And when they got done, they had to go back to the school, but they had no money for bus fare to get back. And so they're standing at the bus stop waiting. They said, Lord, you know our need. And they trusted. One bus after another after another went by. And you would think, well, that's just presumptuous or stupid, either one. But they stood there. Well, finally, a man came, a pastor that they knew, came and said, hey, boys, can I get you guys a cup of tea? And they said, yes. So they went across the street, and they were thinking, this is it. This is the answer. I got it figured out. See, God brought this pastor to give us money to go on the bus. And so they sat down. They had their cup of tea. And when the pastor went to pay for it, he opened up his wallet. And there was all kinds of money in there. And they're thinking, this is it. This is it. Man, he's going to give me some money. And the pastor closed up his wallet, got up and said, see you guys. Have a good day. And he left. Back to the bus stop they stood, waiting. Finally, a woman, a little elderly woman comes up and she goes, are you Reinhardt Bunky? And he says, yes. And she slams money into his hand and says, take this now. He says, God's been bugging me all day about it. He opens up his hand and exactly what they needed for bus fare to go home. Here's the moral of the story. The point is this, is we can look to a lot of things in this life as being the source of our life. And we can trust a lot of things. But let me tell you something. They will let you down. You can trust in a man and he will let you down. I don't care who that man is. Unless he's the man Jesus. You can trust in churches and you can trust in Christians. And, you know, I'm always amazed at how we find it so funny and uh, uh, stunning that there are sinners in church. I'm always amazed. They're like, well, did you see what they did? Well, of course, that's what they do. That's what a church is. They'd like be going to the hospital and being shocked that there's sick people at the hospital. (laughs) 
man by the name of John Cavanaugh went to work for three months at the House of the Dying in Calcutta. He, was, he went there because he was seeking a clear answer as how to spend the rest of his life. And on the four, first morning that he was there, he met Mother Teresa. And she says, what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for, she asked. He said, I've come a long way, thousands of miles from the United States. And I've come seeking clarity. Pray that I would have clarity. And she looked at him and said, no, I will not do that. When he asked her why, he said, she said, clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to and you must let go of it. And when Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have clarity, the clarity he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. I don't know about you, but a lot of times that's the very thing I'm seeking. So I always want to know why. If I can figure it out, if, I, if this would just be made clear, I could understand it and at least endure it. Just make, just make it clear, God. And God says, just trust me. I'll get you through. I know the way. Sometimes it's like walking through a minefield. But if you won't get ahead of him and just follow him, follow in his footsteps, you'll be safe. You will never step on a loaded mine. But if you get ahead of him, if you try to do it your way, there's a very good chance the path will be blown up in front of you or around you. Church, I say this today and I preach this because trust is what we need. We need him. If, we, if we're going to be the people that are going to impact our generation, if we're going to see this church grow, if we're going to accomplish all that God set out, we're going to have to abandon our need to cling on and hold on to things, tradition and ways of doing things. And what we're going to have to do is let go of that and say, you know what, God, I trust you that you're leading us. And you're taking us to that place that you would have us to be. That you're going to cause your spirit to hover and to brood over this place, to create something wonderful. And though I may not always understand it, I may not always see it clearly, even, even in the midst of our crisis, do you remember the story of an old Chinese man and his son one day were working and all of a sudden a herd of horses come running into the corral and all the villagers come out and they say, oh, what a wonderful thing. All these horses came into your corral. And the old man said, how do you know that? The next day, the young son is out working one of the horses and he falls off and he breaks his leg and all the villagers come and say, oh, how sad that is that your son has broken his leg. And the old man says, how do you know that? The next day, the army shows up and is drafting all the young men in the village to go to war. And the young man with the broken leg couldn't go. And the villagers came and said, how fortunate you are. And he goes, how do you know that? See, church, Success and victory and all of that is not defined by anything on this planet. Just because you have a good day doesn't mean it's good. He is good. He's the definition of good. And when I'm found in him, all is well. If there's a hurricane, but I'm in him, it's okay. I can be in the oven as long as he's in there with me. Are you hearing me? He's the definition of good. I can trust him. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me today? <clears throat> Father, I, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word that you point us in the right direction. And Father, without reservation today, 
I trust you. With my body, my mind, and my spirit, I trust you in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and when I lay my head at night. Whatever you want from me, Lord, I want from me. I want to trust you, God, and I do. I trust in your heart. I trust in who you are. I trust that you'll never abandon me. But you are a very present help. You are right here, right now. And Father, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice, whether on the internet or whether in this room, God, I pray that your hand would be upon them. Lord, that you'd minister to them. Lord, that they would walk in you that they can trust you. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed today, if you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but you would like to give your life to Christ. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Lift it up all across this place. I see that hand. I see that one there in the back. You can put them down. I see that one all the way in the back. Thank you. Anyone else you'd like to say, I want Jesus. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I don't normally do this, but those of you that lifted your hand, if, if, if that really is what you want, will you do one more thing for me? Please, everyone will rejoice with you, and I don't do this to embarrass you, but would you come forward? Would you come up here and let me pray for you? Will you come? Just make your way just right up front. If you raised your hand, just come right up front. If you raised your hand, come on up. If you raised your hand, just come right up, just right in front of me. Amen. Just come on up. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Just face me. Face me. Amen. Praise God, brother. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. Hallelujah. Another one's coming. This is what it's about, church, right here. People getting saved. Giving their lives to Jesus. This right here is the beginning of trust. What they're saying I trust you, Jesus, to save me. And so what I want each of you to do, and all of us are going to pray with you so it doesn't feel like you're alone. So I'm asking the congregation to pray aloud with me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I come before you, and I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me say something to you guys. I don't believe a prayer saves you. I believe Jesus saves you. And by the, by the token of you getting up out of your chair and walking forward, what you're doing is you're saying, I have faith in that, and I'm willing to follow him. Because that's what salvation is about, is following him, following him. So what I'm going to ask my prayer team to do is to come right now, my prayer team, come, and I want them to come behind these right here. And they're just going to talk to you just for a moment, okay? And they're going to pray with you again, just for a moment, because we love you, and we want to get to know you, and we want, we want to help you in your journey, because that's what we believe. Amen? And we believe God's going to help you guys. Amen. Thank you for your bravery. I appreciate it. Amen. Isn't this good, church? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? We're going to release you today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.